So be turning to Job 19 this morning. Uh, hopefully you got a handout there. And we are almost halfway through the book of Job, so that's good. And I, I, I kind of had some time one day this week, and I found some good quotes. And I put a quote at the top of your handout there from a guy named uh, Paul Chapel, and that's a good name for a pastor, isn't it? Chapel. <laughs> it's way better than Flesh Man. And so, this Paul Chapel, he is a pastor in uh, in California. And he's got a Bible-believing church out there with uh, a, a Christian school and even a Christian college, I believe. And uh, my, my brother actually uh, candidated to be on staff there one time. So this man's still alive. And he, he says, remember that even in the midst of suffering, God's will is being done. And so I, I believe that's to be true with Job, as he is suffering, he is uh, fulfilling uh, God's will in the midst of his suffering. <clears throat> and today he is going to respond to Bildad as well as his other two friends. And so, someone read verses 1 and 2. Uh, I guess, Emmett, do you want to start with you, brother? Then Job answered and said, How long will ye vex my soul with a piece of words? Now, uh, I put the power of the tongue. Tongue goes in your blank there. And that, that's quite a statement. He, he's saying, you guys are breaking me to pieces with your words. And, you know, <clears throat> you probably won't go to jail for abusing someone with your words but what do you think can they be as damaging as physical harm they can't they can be can't they that's uh you know i used to kind of discount that a little bit just verbal abuse it's kind of like you know get over it they're just you know that little saying sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt me but that's not really true, is it? Actually, you can go to jail for verbal abuse. Can you? Really? It's proven it's a form of abuse. Huh. Especially for suffering a lot of mental issues. Yeah, and this kind of resonates uh, even with my family. I, I, some of you may know my, my parents got a divorce after 54 years of marriage. And that that's basically why. That, that right there, that 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 happened in my own family <clears throat> and uh it just drove that wedge and they just uh never never could reconcile and so um trying to think of other but they're they're kind of long lasting it can be uh, just very hurtful and as you mentioned even in uh, cases of mental illness i suppose maybe it's it's even worse um, any, any other thoughts about those verses there? <clears throat> uh, it creates a lot of stress when people are putting you down. Uh-huh. And you know, that is that reacts in your body is a physical problem. Uh-huh. A lot of times heart problems. Huh. 
when Job said how long, you know, some of that can last for 50 years, I mean, huh. or, or, or longer. Yeah. I'm 60 years old and my sister said something to me one time. Well, you still haven't apologized for something you said when I was 13. I go, you're going, what? I'm going, what? Man, they held on to that for a while. I go, what are you talking about? She goes, she told me. I said, Wendy, I was a teenager then. Yeah. Because I'm five years older, so I was probably 17 or 18. I go, that's 40 years ago. Totally different person. But she's still mad about it. Wow. After 40 years. Wow. That's well, a long time, a long time. My sister used to just hit me. She never said too much. She had hit me really? enough that it hurt, but it didn't show. You know? But I had a scar on my cheek for a long time where she threw a cardboard puzzle frame like a frisbee uh-huh. and hit me. But she never, I can't remember any bad words. Huh. Once with the phone, you know, when they're talking on the phone and you, you start saying things in the phone to tease your big sister, uh-huh. and she would just conk me. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> well, James 3, of course, is a lot about the tongue. And let, let me just read a couple of verses. Uh, it says, Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. So that's just a little bit, but uh, I gave you some other verses. We know that Proverbs talks about life and death are in the power of the tongue. And so uh, Job is commenting uh, that he uh, is kind of unwavered, but nevertheless those words uh, were breaking him down. And then he says in verse 3 of 19, These ten times have ye reproached me, ye are not ashamed that ye make yourselves strange to me. And it... And be it indeed that I have erred, mine heir remaineth with myself. Now, uh, my my comment here is just, uh, I'm not sure the significance of these ten times. It's hard to go back and maybe count ten times. Maybe he's reflecting on his children. He had ten children that died, so maybe that's the number ten. I don't. I really don't know the significance of the number ten there. But uh, in verse 4, uh, I believe this is a, a counseling principle, and I'm trying to point these out and learn for myself. In verse 4, this the, the principle is just personal accountability or responsibility for our actions. And uh, tur- turn with me to Galatians. Let's all look at Galatians. And I want to get your comment on this because it, it almost... 
It almost sounds like a contradiction, although we know it's not. But Galatians 5, and I want us to read these first five verses and see if you can see the uh, contradiction. Uh, Wait a minute, I I don't know if that's the right one I want to get to. It's chapter 6, 1 through 5. Galatians 6, 1 through 5. Pam, do you want to read those? Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fall, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one, such an one in the spirit of meekness. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man thinketh himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that is that teacheth in all good things. Yeah. So, I think you're supposed to bear each other's burdens. Well, it, it says that in verse 2 to bear one another's burdens. And verse 5. And then verse 5, it says, Every man shall bear his own burden. And so, you know, which is it? What do you think? I think it's if you boast about yourself, you're not thinking about anybody else. Okay. You're carrying your own burden, but if you're faithful and share and come to church and be part of the flock, you're going to bear each other's burdens. Okay. Make it easier for people. And that's what he's trying to tell you. Don't be self and doubt themselves. Man thinks of himself. Something. Well, let's just get practical here. Let's say I have—I've got some serious thing that I'm—I'm I'm really heavy. I'm burdened about. How how can you help me with that? Or I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> no. You, you've got—you can come and talk to the other other members of the church. Okay. Help okay. Relieve some stress and maybe. Come to a faster conclusion. Yeah. Now there. Now I think what you just said there is helpful. Because talking to people, I mean, in my profession, I listen to people daily. Okay. And it makes a difference when they talk to you about things that are going. And they come in and tell me, and it yeah. ease their mind, and they can bounce things. I mean, you'd be surprised. I've had people call me ask about how to get rent. How do you get what? How do they get their rent paid? Oh. How do they get their mortgages paid? Huh. You know, and how often would you call your doctor to do that? Yeah, not very. But they trust me because I pray with good. Well, that, that's a good example, too. So, so Give them something to do, something to go. Well, let's use that example then. Uh, someone calls you and they. So you're helping to bear their burden. You're going to pray with them. You might know some resources. But uh, all to, so the thing I wanted to get back to, I mean, Job says it there. If indeed, what does he, he say? Uh, if indeed, he says, uh, and be it 
Indeed that I have erred, mine error remaineth with myself. So we can point people to truth and we can try to help bear their burden and we should, but ultimately... Uh, they have to deal with the, circum- the consequences uh, of, of their actions. So it's both, isn't it? Yeah. Do you, do you think, and you know, I'm thinking the burden, but I'm thinking mainly like the burden of sin. Okay. Like we need to deal with our own sin, but with others, you know, and you know that as pastor, you help bear people's burden with uh, sin. How yeah. Well, and, and that's what, you know, the journey home, uh, you know, the man I'm meeting with now, I mean, ultimately, he's got to bear that burden of his struggles. But, yeah, we can relieve, we can point to truth, we can share, uh, you know, truth to help make people free. So, that, I think, but that is the counseling principle. Uh, you know, and and we know we, there is principle. We we can't want it more than they want it for themselves, and and all those things. But it does. I mean, we need community, don't we? We do need support. We do need one another, and that's what Galatians is telling the, the churches of Galatia. You do need to be bearing one another's burdens, and uh, we're made to be in community, and we. Uh, <clears throat> You know, it, people can be overtaken in their faults, so we need to restore them and consider ourselves, you know, that we not be taken as well. And so, anyway, that's, I just thought that was a good place to stop and think about those very things. And, uh, I think it's in Ezekiel where the children don't uh, die for their father, but every man, you know, shall perish for their own sin. So, uh, in some ways, you're, each one of us is responsible for ourselves, but we can bear one another's burdens. So, hopefully, that. You can help other people bear their burdens by praying. Yeah. Well, I think I think of, of um, the reason why I say sin. I think of David when he, when he prays in, in Psalm 51. He says, "Against thee and against thee alone have I sinned." Yeah. So. It's that we have to bear that burden ourselves. Nobody else can. We have to deal with the Lord and with our own sin. Uh huh. You know, that's the way I'm thinking about it. Uh huh. You know, but with others, we can help. You know, direct. Right. So it it is kind of both. Them and direct them. Hmm. No, that's that's good. Good discussion for sure. Um. So in, in, in Job 19, in, in verse, uh, 6 there, could, yeah, <clears throat> he says that he feels like, uh, God hath overtaken me and hath compassed me with his net. So he, he's feeling trapped and, uh, and then in verse 7 he says behold I cry out of wrong and am not uh, but I am not heard I cry aloud but there is no judgment so he is and I don't know if you've ever felt that way uh, sometimes we feel like our prayer don't go higher than the ceiling as we you know but but does God hear and, and 
so certainly God is with Job. God is uh, holding, kind of withholding. He, he's not interceding uh, yet, but God does hear him, doesn't He? And so that's that's why in our lesson on prayer and our discipleship, you know, God's answers are yes or no or not yet. And so with Job, I think that's kind of God's answer is, you know, not yet. God, God is waiting. And I don't know if it's because there's still words yet to be said and thoughts to be contemplated. But I gave you uh, some references from the Bible. And I'm trying to think of which one I, I really wanted to, to go here. But th- this word cry, you know, in the New Testament, uh, you know, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, that that's a cry. When we call upon the name of the Lord, He will uh, save us. And each each time God's people cry to Him, He, he hears them. <clears throat> Let, let's go... Uh, I know, Pat, you, you have in, in your book, uh, let's look at Psalm 107. There, there's four times here in Psalm 107. It's close by. Job, Psalm. So the next book over, Psalm 107. Let's look at that one. And, uh, Suzanne, there, there's four verses in Psalm 107. Are you there? Can, can you read verse 6 and then we'll... Each one of these says where they cry, I believe. Then they cry unto the Lord in, in their troubles, and He delivers them out of their distress. All right, now down to 13. Then they cried unto the Lord in their troubles, and He saved them out of their distress. And then 19. They cried unto the Lord in their troubles, and He saved them out of their distress. And 28. They cried unto the Lord in their troubles, and He bringeth them out of their distress. That's pretty cool. That it's the same, same one. Same wording. I keep waiting for one to say, just wait a minute. Yeah. No, but uh, here... And so these are just different cycles within Psalm 107 where God's people would cry unto the Lord and He delivered them out of their distresses. And and God will deliver Job. So right now he's kind of praying and it seems futile. And he's wanting judgment and he's wanting to be... Uh, you know, cleared of whatever condemnation he feels like he's in, and uh, so each and you know, Pastor Brian is studying in Exodus, and in Exodus two is where the children of Israel cry because they're in you know bondage in Egypt, and it he hears their prayer and and sends Moses. So uh, God will deliver Job as well but anyway that that's just an observation I've made and th- those are all those that list of verses are ones that uh, that I have found just reading through the Bible and so hopefully uh, 
you'll see that too now. Every time I see the word cry, I try to pick up on it. And uh, sure enough, God will hear and answer. So my, my teaching point here is just we we have a front row seat to view Job performing spiritual warfare just as we do with Paul uh, so th- I put two words here spiritual uh, warfare I mean uh, you can see that he He's feeling, you know, broken in pieces because of these men's words, because of his own health, because of his loss of of, uh, job and finances and servants and animals. And and he even says in this next section how he is stripped of his glory and his crown is taken. So he was a king and now he finds himself with all these problems. And so this is spiritual warfare, isn't it? And uh, Paul, Paul talks about casting down. You know, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're spiritual. And uh, I don't know if you can read my writing, Chuck. Can you? So, all right. Well, let's look at verse eight and nine of the next chapter. Uh, Pat, if, or I'm sorry, with. Job 19, verses 8 and 9. Okay. It says, He hath fenced up my way that I cannot pass, and He hath set darkness in my past. He hath stripped me of my glory and taken the crown from my head. Uh-huh. And so that's another reference to, we believe, uh, Job was a king of Edom. And in fact, hold your place here. Let's kind of be reminded. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 36. Genesis 36. Excuse me. And verses 33 and 34 say... I think that's where I'm at. 33, uh, Genesis 36, 33. And Bela died, and Jobab, the son of Zerah of Basra, reigned in his stead. And Jobab died, and Hushan of the land of Temani reigned in his stead. And so we believe that this Jobab, uh, it says he reigned there and he was in Eden. So uh, Job uh, is this, uh, I'm saying Jobab, that sounds kind of Jobab or I may not be pronouncing that right. But we believe that is the same guy, this historical figure. Uh, it's in the right location, and uh, it's around the same time as we believe Job lived. And so that is probably him. And so he he is commenting that he is stripped of his glory and his crown. Uh, he was probably a king, uh, maybe the king of Edom, the the whole ta- the whole country of Edom. Uh, around this 
area of Timni. So, and then in verse uh, ten, if you'll read ten, uh, Emmett. Yeah. He hath destroyed me on every side, and I am gone. Yeah, I put hope in your blank there because uh, he had lost his hope, and so he. Uh, you can. I don't know if you can tell. He 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 does. We've mentioned this before. He feels suicidal. He feels like he's trapped in this net. And Pat read. You know, he hath fenced up my way. Uh, the, well, I'll wait till Pat gets back. I was going to share something. In, in this section, if you look at the very first verse of uh, the very first word of these verses. In verse 8, it says he. In verse 9, it says he. Verse 10, he. Verse 11, he. Verse 12, his. Verse 13, he. Uh, Job is speaking of God in all these things. And and I'll go ahead and mention it now. Uh, Do you know that the, uh, I believe it's the Anglican Church, is I think it's one and the same as the Church of England. I think those are the the same, but they are now uh, voting whether or not to take out out of their Bible uh, any uh, any gender reference to God. They're they're trying to make a gender neutral Bible. Uh, you know, instead of calling him, you know. Uh, our Father which art in heaven. I, I don't know how they may make that, you know, our God which is in heaven. They're, they're trying to, uh, and so they're, they're kind of in the midst of a controversy. And, uh, you know, our, our own country, our, our own company where I work, that's a big deal right now is, uh, uh, Everybody's pronouns, you know, he, him, and her, you know, hers. And so they're putting that like on all their, uh, their signature on all their emails. And, you know, they have some TVs around our company. And, you know, this is Dr. So and so, you know, referred to as him or his. And, uh, so they're, but anyway, it's, it's all this gender identity. And anyway, I heard that uh, on the news last week that the the Church of England is voting whether or not to remove gender references to God in their Bibles. So, as we're looking at this section of Scripture, Job is clearly calling God uh, in a male male fashion. Anyway, there's at least two references here in in our New Testament where it says that Christ is our hope. And so Job feels like he's lost hope. And his counselors, his uh, friends are not uh, comforting him in that way. Uh, All right, verses 11 and 12, Pam. Uh, Pam, you want to read verse 11 and 12? 
You know I lost my hearing aids. Oh, you, uh, yeah, you told me. <laughs> I still haven't found <laughs> He hath also kindled his wrath against me, and he counteth me unto him as one of his enemies. His troops come together and raise up their way against me, and encamp around my tabernacle. Huh. He hath put my brethren far from me. And mine acquaintances are verily estranged from me. Yeah, we're going to look at his acquaintance here in just a minute. But uh, he he feels like God is his enemy at this point. And uh, Pat, I just uh, told the group that uh, the Church of England are trying to remove any gender reference from their Bible of God being a male entity. Instead of calling God our Father, they're they're trying to they're actually kind of voting uh, in the next few months. Uh, the Church of England is to remove uh, any gender references of God from their Bibles. But uh, is that so? The Catholics can slip in this Mary worship a little easier. Hmm. I don't know. That's. Uh, I think they're. Yeah, it's a pretty. Well, they've always. Yeah, I mean, they're not too far removed from the Catholic Church, but it is different. I mean, they're their own entity, but but yeah, I I don't know what's prompting it. It's just the woke woke culture or something there that uh, gender, the uh, gender identity topic of the day. Yeah, it has to do with the movement of the gender identity. Yeah. I read that with, when you said that, I looked it up, and they are an Anglo, Anglican. Yeah, because under Wikipedia, it, it, Western Christian tradition is developed from practices identi- identified with identified of the Church of England. Yeah. And the English Reformation. Yeah. But uh, <clears throat> it has to do with that movement that everybody wants to be me, he, them, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because I have to ask people too. Huh. What's your gender, gender identification? Do you really? What's your gender? Choice? Oh my goodness! Right. Yeah. Uh, it's part of the government. We have to put it on their chart. Wow. If he's a she, we have to call him she. Uh, wow. Well, you you can kind of uh, imagine here he he's considering that he's feeling like God is considering him an enemy, and it it would be like you know an army of people you know coming over the hill where Job lives, and Job's just this one little guy in his little tent, and he feels like God's sending troops against him. So he feels really under attack, like he's uh, God's enemy here. <clears throat> and that, that was just my uh, point there. there. There's a reference in the New Testament. I don't know if you guys remember when Peter is on trial and the Jewish leaders are deciding what to do with him. Gamaliel makes that statement that you know, we should just leave him alone because if if we try uh well look look up that Acts five thirty nine 
this is a reference of how Job might be feeling. Job or Acts five thirty nine. There's where Gamaliel's talking, and he says uh, about this movement. He says, but if, if it be of God, we cannot overthrow it, lest happily we be found even to fight against God. And so that, that's how Job feels. He feels like he is having to war against God. There's a troop against him. or God is sending troops against him. And uh, he, he, Job cannot win, just like Gamaliel is saying, you know, if this Christianity movement is of God, you know, we can't fight against God and win. So, nevertheless, people try. So, alright, Job 19. In uh, Suzanne, would you read verses 13 through 19? I guess Pam read 13. Read 14 through 19. My kinfolks have failed. My, fam- my familiar friends have forgotten me. They that dwelleth in my house and my maids count me for a stranger. I am an alien in their sight. I called my servant and he gave me no answer. I entreated him with my mouth. My breath, my breath is strange to my wife. Though I entreat from, entreat from the children's sake of my own body, young children despise me. I, I arose and they spoke against me. All my inner friends afford me. And they went, and they whom I loved have turned against me. Mm-hmm. And so he goes down through this list of acquaintances. Uh, if you want to look at your handout, he, he mentions his brethren. They're far from me. My acquaintance is estranged. My kinfolk have forgotten me. My familiar friends have forgotten me. My maids, uh, they are strangers and familiar or, or aliens. Uh, my servant won't answer him. His wife, the mother of his children, considers him to have strange breath. It's like she doesn't even know him. Young children, they despise him and speak against him. His friends and loved ones, I put, uh, turned against him. Against is what I had you put in your blank. And then in verse uh, 20, uh, Pat, if you read that. My bone cleaveth to my skin and to my flesh, and I am escaped with the skin of my teeth. Yeah, and we we use that expression sometimes, don't we? Uh, uh, hanging on by the skin of our teeth, and so that's where we get it from. Is from Job here, but even his relationship with his own body uh, is damaged. And it says something similar over in Job thirty. Uh, hold your place here. Let's look at Job thirty. A couple couple verses down a couple chapters over 30 and verse 17 says 
My bones are pierced in me in the night season, and my sinews take no rest. So I, I think the sinews are like the ligaments. And so his body's hurting, his bones uh, are, are pierced, they feel just uh, some sharp pains. And so, so anyway, these are all his earthly relationships and even his own self. So my teaching point here is just uh, God is all you need when God is all you have. So everybody and everyone is turned against him. And so he's there all alone, but he's he's got the Lord. And that's what this next section is, the last section. Uh, Emma, would you read 21 for us? Yep. Okay. 1921. Yeah, so that he's he's begging for pity. I'm going to read you a I'll read you the Psalm 69 cross reference there. It says uh, 2021. It's it says their reproach hath broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness, and I have looked for some to take pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. And so this is a reference to the Lord on the cross. Uh, Job, like the Lord, desired some pity, and he's realizing that uh, that, uh, God has touched him. And then verse uh, 22, Pam. Nineteen twenty-two. Yeah. Why do you persecute me as God, and are not satisfied with my flesh? Yeah. So this is Job. His name means one persecuted. And we said that he is a type of the Jew in the tribulation period and I gave you the reference there from uh, Revelation it says that that uh, they persecuted uh, the woman that fled to the wilderness for three and a half years and so I gave you that reference where in, in Revelation 12:13 that uh, the Jew is being going to be persecuted just like Job is being persecuted so he actually uses that word and then uh, 23 and 24 uh, Suzanne would you read those oh that that my words were now written oh that my words oh that they were printed in the book that they were were driven 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 the iron the pen and lead and lead in the rock forever yeah. Now, now there's a prayer that God answered, didn't He? His Job's words are written, and we do have them. 
uh, let's all look at that Jeremiah verse. That should be, we, you know, we studied Jeremiah last year. Look at Jeremiah 17.1. And it says something similar in Jeremiah 17.1 about the nation of Israel here. And uh, Suzanne, I'll let you read that when you get there because it says something really similar to what Job just wrote to us. 17.1 of Jeremiah. And the sin of Jordan, Judah. Judah is written in the pen of iron and with the point of a diamond. It is graven upon a tablet of their hearts and upon the form of their altar. Yeah, so it it says something similar about the writing, you know, the pen of iron, graven, but this is more the the Judah's sin is actually engraved on the table of their heart. And so it's it's a little different, but we have Job's words graven and they're here for us and we have them. So back to uh Back to Job, and in your head, on your little header there in Roman numeral four, I put the word redeemer. And what do you think that that word means? Just the word redeem. To to. Um. Word. Yeah. To purchase out of, uh, yeah, to purchase. Um, or uh, to purchase, purchase a debt or to yeah, pay a debt. Pay a debt. And, and I think even even the word uh, re has to do with uh, the word again. Like so, it's like to buy again, uh, purchase again. And uh, Emmett, I don't know if, if you guys did like this on the farm. Uh, we got a little bit of time. I'll tell you kind of a neat story. So just when I was growing up, we we, we purchased uh, a lot of protein pellets to feed to our cattle. We, we mixed protein with the corn we fed. And, uh, you know, for every ton of protein you bought, you know, you get so many, I don't know if it was the S&H green stamps, but it was something like that. And so, you know, my dad didn't care anything about that, but I did. So I, I collected all these stamps and, and I, I would wet them and put them in these books. And if you got a book of stamps, then you, then they gave you a catalog and you could pick, you know. I remember buying a tent to camp in. I bought a hatchet. I bought a knife. And, and so I would use that, those book of stamp. We'd already bought the feed, but we would redeem the stamps and get other, you know, gift items. And so it was, it was an incentive to buy more protein, but, uh, just when I think of the word redeem, I remember redeeming those stamps to get, you know, the gift. And, uh, that, anyway, when I think of redeem, I, I think of that. And, uh, so, so here's the funny story of that. So, 
my wife's grandparents, this is not the funny part, they were killed in a car wreck in 81. So that's when we started dating, was April 15th of 81. And uh, that summer, she spent the summer with her sister living in the same town. So, So we began dating pretty seriously that summer. Well, then she had to go back to Florida for her senior year of high school. So she was just a junior in high school when we met. So that winter, that next winter... I started saving all the sacks that, of the pellets, so I bundled them in stacks of 50. And, so my wife will, she'll be mad I'm telling the story, but that was back when they had the Pepsi commercial where the airplane wrote, Marry Me in the Sky. Do you guys remember that commercial? So my idea was I was going to save all these bundles of sacks and light them on fire on this hillside to spell marry me to my wife. So that that's how I asked Angie to marry me. We had a field with a pretty pretty sharp hillside and so like the day before I uh had put all these sacks I spelled marry me on the side of a hill and I put diesel fuel on them so they would burn better and and you could you could see marry me pretty well. So then anyway, that night, uh, that was the next the next summer when she graduated from high school. I asked her to marry me. I don't remember the date, but it was you know early June when she was out of high school. Uh, so anyway, that's my story of redemption and how I asked Angie to marry me. So it's kind of a cool story. Jesus is a form of redemption. Well, yeah, that that is the that is the point. He purchased us with his blood, uh, Acts twenty twenty eight says, and he is called the redeemer. So that anyway, so that that's that's the next verse. Uh, Suzanne, was it your turn to read in verse twenty five? Pat, will you do twenty five? He says, uh, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that shall stand at the, at the latter day on the earth. Yeah. So I, I missed a blank there, but uh, I had the word. Uh, I had the word book in there, and then just the word no. And I really like that. That. You know, he knows that his Redeemer lives. And uh, he'll stand on the earth in the latter day. and and I gave you some cross references for that, but the Zechariah passage is where and and this is a distinction that we make you know a lot of a lot of churches are what we would call uh, all millennial meaning that they don't think there'll be a millennium but all most all churches believe that uh that the Lord will return and will be uh, that they they will be united with Him, but uh, we make a distinction between the rapture and the second coming. And in the rapture, the Bible talks that we will be caught up together in the clouds with Him, 
but Zechariah mentions that his feet are going to touch down on the Mount of Olives. And uh, so we make a distinction that that Zechariah passage is where his feet will be on the Mount of Olives in the latter days, <coughs> the latter day upon the earth that Pat just read. And so we, we, we know that and uh, those of us that are saved, I, mean, I used to kind of think that was arrogant to think that you can know that you'll be with the Lord. It, we were just always under the persuasion, you know, we can hope, we can try to do our best and fan the flame and, you know, try harder and do better. Uh, but once you're saved, the Bible says we can know that we have eternal life. And anyway, in this chapter of Job feeling fenced in and hopeless, uh, and all his friends have forsaken him, he just makes this proclamation, I know my Redeemer lives, and he knows that uh, God is going to redeem him. And in verse uh, 26 and 27, Emmett, would you read those? And after my skin is destroyed, yeah. That's it. Lord, though after my skin worms destroyed this body, yet in my place shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall be told, and not another. Be yeah, and so he he believes that he will be resurrected himself, and he will have a a uh, resurrected body, and in his flesh he will see the Lord, and. Uh, some of you know uh, Pastor Jeff Adams, but uh, in his book about Job, he 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 tells the story. Of, I believe it was in high school. I, I I remember him telling the story. I thought it was college, but uh, kind of an atheistic professor, kind of always making fun of the Bible, making fun of Christians, and and making the, just the statement that you know nowhere in the Old Testament, you know, does it say anything about being resurrected. And and uh, Pastor Jeff Adams went to the principal, and the principal called in the professor, and and he he brought to the office this verse this passage from Job uh, is one of the clearest in the Old Testament about uh, there being a, a literal resurrection from the dead and in his book he says that the professor discounted that and just said you know that that's your opinion that's your interpretation that's what the professor said and yeah in my flesh yeah and so, anyway, I thought that was interesting. Uh, hold your place here and look at the Daniel verse. I think I put that there, didn't I? The Daniel 12.2. This is uh, 12.2 and 3. This is maybe another place uh, you could take someone to discuss the resurrection in the Old Testament. Uh, Daniel 12. And uh, I think there there are uh, a couple of other places. 
that uh, the Jewish people do believe in, in what we would consider a general resurrection of the dead. And uh, that... I think I told you that that uh, the Mount of Olives today... Uh, I mean, I was there, and it's just covered with graves. That that is that is the Mount of Olives today. There's hundreds, maybe thousands, and uh, our tour guide told us that it's pretty expensive. He said, but you can still be buried on the Mount of Olives today. I, I want to say it was like fifty thousand. It was it was a substantial amount of money that uh, that you could pay and still be buried there today. Uh, so Daniel 12 verses 2 and 3 it says and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever so there again a reference to uh, those that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake and so there's a reference to the resurrection in the Old Testament uh, well let, let's finish our chapter we only got a couple of minutes let's go back to Job 19 and uh, I like this I really like this chapter it's it's a key one uh, 28 and 29 uh, if somebody read that I don't know where we're at is it Pam but you can say why persecute we him seeing the root of the matter is found in me be ye afraid of the sword for wrath bring the punishment of the sword that ye may know there is a judgment so he he kind of turns on his friends now, and he he's telling them, you guys kind of need to be afraid of the sword yourselves, uh, for wrath bringeth the judgments of the sword, that ye may know there is a judgment. And uh, uh, in the Bible, there's a reference to two different swords, and one one is from uh, Romans 13 there, where. The, the powers that be are ordained of God and it says that they bear not the sword in vain. In other words, there's, there is a government structure on planet earth and it says that, uh, you know, our, our city and elected officials, there's a certain fear we should have of them, uh, but not if we're doing good. If, if we're doing good, it says that they are God's ministers for good, uh, but they don't bear the sword in vain. And uh, I don't know. I do think that my teaching point here is true. Uh, look, look at it with me, if you would. When I, man's sword focuses on the body, hoping to correct the soul, that, that's what jail does. It's a correctional facility, and they are trying to, you know, confine your body and make you think and pay a debt for what you've done to society. But God's sword, which is the Word of God, uh, Ephesians 6 and Hebrews 4 tell us, and it focuses on the soul, hoping to correct the body. So we're hoping that the Word of God will sink down into our soul. It'll begin developing right uh, decisions, right thinking, which brings about right behavior. And uh, anyway, I... I 
uh, I don't know how that that thought came to me. Those two swords just kind of made me think about those things of uh, man man's sword. Just the government tries to correct the body and make us think different, but God makes us think different, trying to develop better behavior. Does that make sense? Well, good. Well, we're just a couple minutes over time now, but let, let's close in prayer today. Let's uh, remember the rinkers and uh, any, anything else we want to uh, pray about. Let, let's pray and we'll, we'll, we'll close up here. I'll shut off my thing here.